What about this? Let me ask you a question. You can show your hands or you don't have to. I know a lot of you. I know where you're at as far as faith. I know that if Jesus comes today, tonight, that I know that many of you, where, where we'll be, we'll be on the same flight path. Um, some of you, I can't say that I know that. Um, are you going to heaven when you die? And why do you think you're going to go to heaven? Is it because you've been attending church? Because you believe in God? Do you think that it's going to be a matter of good works? See, because you, uh, there's all kinds of reasons, but there's really only one that says that, that you'll get there. And that's when you recognize him and receive him, which means it's really like a gift. And unless you actually take it and open that up and make it part of your life, you're really not okay. You're not saved. And there should be some evidence of salvation in our lives. See, a lot of people will make this kind of thing and make Jesus, but then we live like, like hell. You see it in the bulletin. I actually asked that question. It says, uh, and I know some people, you may not like me saying hell, but it's, it's a real word. It's a real place. It's a real situation for those who have rejected Jesus. So it says, can you live like hell and still get to heaven? It's a question for you to answer later on. You can have some time. I know some people were a little um, flustered with the video that we showed last week, the 15-question test, if you're really, really, really a Christian. Some of you, it made you question if you're really, really a Christian. If, if you don't have that, you want to go back and review it. It's on our website, timefornewlife.com. You can go into the sermon thing, and, and you can actually, um, the test is on there too. You can actually... Fill out the test, little key words that we put on there. Everything's scriptural. Talks about the evidence of faith in your, in your life. See, that's what, that's what God expects of us. He expects, we use the illustration, which is really unfair, but it's of a fig tree that's not in fruit-bearing season, and Jesus comes upon it, and he curses it because there's no fruit on it. It wasn't about the tree in fruit-bearing season. It was about the fact that he, the Bible actually says for us is that we're supposed to be instantly in season. God expects us with, in the blink of an eye to be ready to produce fruit for him. Wow. That means you got to, you know, I have people say, well, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Well, boy, you're believing a lie. I don't know if you've ever built any bridges, but you don't do that just with a little twist of the wrinkle of the nose or something. You know, if you ain't built that bridge before you get there, if you didn't take that bridge on, speaking of Jesus now, when you get to that place, it's too late. Does anybody know anybody who planned, uh, who died when they didn't really plan to die? Huh? That means a, an accident, a crash, some, some incident that happened. A few years ago, I, 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 it's a weird, wicked illustration of somebody in the steel mill up here in, I think, Yorkville or somewhere, one of these steel mills. Some, uh, they were walking into the building and uh, snow came cascading down. Actually, not just snow, but mass ice of massive ice from the from the the roof of the steel mill 30 feet tall or so 300 pounds they estimated and fell on top of him killed him hello serious how about the idea that you send your husband or your wife and child and they go off and they go shopping and you decide you're going to stay in the warmth and comfort of a uh, of your uh, living room in new york and you just decide you're going to stay home and watch the game or something. And meanwhile, 
they're safe out in the elements. And there's a plane overhead that ices up on the wings and actually comes crashing down into one house, into one living room. I mean, come on. Do you really think that's chance happenings? Now, you and I, you, we think we're safe. I'm telling you, they're, they're, you aren't safe. We're in peril. That's the way God's ordained it because he's the safe haven. He's the citadel. He's the strong tower. These are all just terms that the Bible uses to describe why we come to him because he's the one who not only holds our future, but he holds us in the palm of his hand. See? So he's our rescuer. He's our defender. He's everything. And, and the reason we want to come and, 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 and give our life to him is because now our life has actual meaning. Something that will last beyond. You know, beauty and all this stuff is fleeting. You know, all our degrees that we could ever obtain, all the knowledge and information, it's all fleeting. It's all going to amount to a hill of beans. There's been smarter people than me that have walked before me, lived before me, accomplished more than I may ever accomplish, and we don't know them at all, and we don't remember them. You see? So the thing is, is to live a life that is is really uh, for God. I just see a note Joel gave me. The reflect, we didn't put in your bulletins just to see who wants it. We know of one person who wants it. That's the Bible readings that we're doing on a weekly basis. So we've got those ready. We'll hand them out. You can take them uh, from the table when when we're done. It'll be by the welcome, uh, by the sofa table here by the um, welcome banner. All right? So here's uh, here's what we want to do. I'm just going to share Colossians, and we'll go forward. Can I have a little extra time this morning? You're like, well, you're going to take it anyway, aren't you? And actually, I wouldn't. I could stop right now. It would just be your loss. Because God has a message he wants us to get. How many of you are toasty warm to the point of we could use air? Anybody besides me or it's just me? Yeah. So we need uh, we, We're on heat still for some reason. So um, that's just because we haven't switched over yet. So if you turn that to air and bring it to about 72, that would be reasonable. And we can turn the fans up a little bit too. All right. Ready? Colossians chapter 3. If you'll turn there. I'm going to give you a few things. I'm going to give you scripture. I'm not going to read it all just for time's sake. I'm going to ask you to read it. I'll give you the full reference for it. You can read it. Then I'm going to share why we don't want to die. See, the the title for today is is wanted, dead or alive, especially dead. What does that mean? God wants you to die to yourself. He wants you to die to the things, your own plans, and he wants you to live according to his plan. So in one sense, we're supposed to live, but we're supposed to die. And ultimately, the only way we can really live in this life is to die. When you die to your personal goals, your personal agenda, that's how we actually get to live. That's part of what's getting in our way today is the fact that we keep waiting for, you know, Paul, the apostle who writes some of these things, Thessalonians that that Todd quoted from this morning, when he talks about the end and talks about those things, they believed it was going to happen almost 2,000 years ago. They thought it was going to happen like, you know, let's give it some time, 1,900 years ago. See? They believed it was imminent. It was really going to happen soon. And people were actually saying Thessalonians was written because there were people saying, Jesus has already come back and you missed it. That's what, that's back in 65, 60 to 65 AD. You get it? 1900 and what? Some odd years ago. 
See? And they were thinking then, and people were saying, ah, Jesus came and you missed the boat. And so Thessalonians partially is written to let them know that, hey, wait a minute. You didn't miss it. When Christ comes, this is how it's going to happen. This is the details that's going to, it's all going to kind of come to a, a snowball effect, getting bigger as time goes. And then it's going to come and the dead in Christ will rise first. So see, he actually gives us a little clarifier to, because there's been people, uh, now here I have people who have known uh, last couple of years ago, we had people actually telling that they did know the day based on the signs and wonders. See, based on all these kinds of things going on. And what they did is they sold, uh, they sold tapes and books and signs. And do you know that? How many remember the guy? Harold, was it Campen? I believe that was his name. And he actually, uh, they spent millions on this campaign to let people know that the end is coming. Do you know what? Christianity. We all look stupid. They don't, they don't break it down by denominations. They just look at it. If you're an unbeliever, if you're a, an agnostic, if, if you're a, an atheist, they just say, see, you guys are morons. Where's the evidence? Well, I can tell you those are like the days of Noah. What do you mean a flood? How can there be a flood? We know where the lake is and the rivers and there's nothing. There isn't even rain yet. Did you know that? And so where's this flood going to come? How's this going to happen? They can't understand that, but God does things supernaturally, amen? So here we go, Colossians. You're there by now, I'm sure. If you're not, it'll be on the wall, some portions of it. Listen to this. This is a message version. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, because that's what Easter does for us, if you're serious about living this, this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Wow. You want privileges? You want to have freedom? You want to be respected? Well, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Let me ask you, does anybody in here have one of those cars that parallel parks by itself? Do you? You'd have to have a pretty modern car. But, but there are cars out there that you just start, you know, you come up to a place and then it just backs in. Everybody seen a commercial at least about that? They actually have them. How many of you, that's one of the things that you struggle with the most is, is parallel parking? Go ahead. Let me see your hands. Yeah, pretty hard. Do you know when you need the greatest vision? You need more vision for parallel parking than you do need for regular driving. You know that, don't you? How many know that you can be talking on the phone, eating a sandwich, and, you know, you're using the knee to drive, and you can be doing your eyeshadow all at the same time? Totally, totally not paying attention. See? But you know what? When you go to Parallel Park, unless you intend to do some damage to vehicles and stuff around you, you're real, you're, pull up and back and up and back, and I just, Guess what? You need that kind of vision, right? Well, when the Bible says, set your hand to the plow, back then it was, that was one of the major things. We didn't, we didn't cruise the loop. Set the hand to the plow refers to the fact that that's one of the primary things that you do in life is plow. 
And that's the foundational point to harvesting because we got to prepare the soil first. So setting the hand of the plow is you don't want to hit boulders and bust up your plow unless you'll be doing it by hand, hoeing it. See, so it's a very practical form of, of advice and application which says when you set your hand to the plow, you better watch where you're going. Well, if we take that into modern day vernacular, we would actually say when you start driving, keep your eyes on the road. Who, when you're driving on a freeway, is going to be texting long messages to people who don't care? Do you get it? It's the same thing. How many of you drive in here, and when you're going forward, you keep your eyes on the rearview mirror? No, you reference the rearview mirror. You might check your mirrors here, and you look around, and you're aware of your surroundings. But the truth is, this is the goal right there. I'm going to that destination. Set your eyes on Jesus. That's what the song is, is when we put our eyes on Jesus, when he becomes our prize, when that's all I want is to be with him. That's what it's like. It's that you put Jesus. It actually says this in other place in the Bible, doesn't it? We put our eyes or fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's the way we get there. You know what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus? Crashes. See, people who aren't led by, by the Spirit of God, people who aren't following Jesus, are, are an accident on the way to a happening. Right? It's, it's just we know it's going to happen. Some of you are here this morning because you're tired of having accidents in your life. You're tired of the chaos, the calamity. That's a good thing. You're in a good place. So here it is. Verse 3. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with the way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, Lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever, whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. You say explode. You imagine what that looked like, God exploding. It says a blast from his nostrils. That's what Revelation says. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff. And not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. You know what dirty talk is? <laughs> Let me tell you this joke. <laughs> you know, it's almost got some demonic kind of quality to it. And it usually brings somebody else down. It usually is something you wouldn't say in front of your mom or your grandma, right? And if you do, you need smacked. (laughs) Profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. That's what it's supposed to be like. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Bible says garments of praise he's given to us. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. See, dressed up, and, and that's what we make a habit of doing. 
is we dress up and look good on the outside, but inside we're all corrupt. We're, 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 we're smelly, stinky, pukey. Amen? Go ahead and let's, uh, can you cue that video up? If we're ready, it's you do the math. This is called you do the math. Then we'll wrap up. Faith, works, salvation. Man, talk about your polarizing topics. Everyone has an opinion on them. Can we work our way to heaven? Does it just simply take faith? And what is an authentic faith? Well, let's investigate the arithmetic behind these important questions and see how the truth really adds up. Some people believe that works equals salvation. Simply put, this is man's effort to work his way up to God and become acceptable in his sight. This is the view of religion, that lots of good works equals salvation. However, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hmm, sounds like something is wrong with our equation. So, let's scratch works and replace it with faith. Surely that's all we need to make our equation correct. Well, we need to tread carefully here. Faith is ultimately what makes us acceptable to God. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this equation is incomplete. James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So, works must be factored into the equation. One popular view of the salvation formula is faith plus works equals salvation. People think that belief in Christ is important, but that salvation is still dependent upon doing enough good with their life. They rightly acknowledge the expectation that works are involved, but they confuse why they're there. It may be subtle, but it's wrong. Why? Well, look at this quick math lesson. We can all agree that 2 plus 3 equals 5. Thus, since this equation is true, it also means that 3 equals 5 minus 2. A true equation holds up regardless of how you move the pieces around. We call them fact families. So let's return to our formula. If faith plus works equals salvation is true, then the formula of faith equals salvation minus works must also be true. And Professor James has already reminded us that this kind of faith just doesn't add up. Let's try this one more time. We are saved by faith. But James does add something to the equation by challenging us with what our faith should look like. It's not that works create our salvation. Rather, it's that works should accompany our salvation. That's an authentic faith. Growing in Christ-likeness in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of good works. And yes, I know what you're thinking. If this fact family is true, then faith minus works equals salvation must also be true. So if you have no works, are you saved? Let's just say while we can celebrate God's amazing grace, the expectation of God's word is that we would see the fruit of your real faith. So while the math adds up, it should bother you that your life does not. The fact is we are saved by faith alone, but the faith which saves is never alone. Still not sure about all of this? Well, you do the math. Wow, that's kind of can can bother some some people, can it? What do you think? See, they both it's both in the Bible. One guy is the faith guy, Paul, and James is the works guy. And so if you take one without the other, we end up with an incomplete truth. See?
So what it does is it puts some pressure on us Christians that we actually act out our faith, that we see it, that there's evidence of it, that when you catch us in an off moment of smashing our thumb with a hammer, that we still look like faith. See what I mean? That we're actually going to see it manifest. That other people, we don't go around with a white collar on so that people can say, oh, you're a man of faith, aren't you? No, we, we, we just go out living our lives and they're looking and saying, you? You look like a motorcycle guy. But I see Jesus in you. Now you're doing something. So the Bible says, so if you love those who are so lovable, what is that? Love those who despise you. Now you're really doing something. Hey, the rest of the message is for later on. I'm going to end here. Let me give you a couple of things. I want you to think about it. I'm going to finish it next week. Why we don't want to die. I want to ask you, if there's something of your old self that's still alive, why is that? Why is there that, for example, if you still struggle with some lust issues, if you still struggle with, you know, which could be pornography, it could be promiscuity, it could be stuff like that. Um, if you still struggle with lying, if you still struggle with, with anger issues, if you still struggle, whatever the issues are, you know you got them. I mean, does everybody in the room have an issue? Or am I just talking to the wrong people? I'm the only guy with issues. So here's the deal. Why is that? Well, you know what they say, Pastor. Old habits die hard. Yep, yep, they do. Oh, they do. How about the idea, I don't think I'm doing, uh, what I'm doing is that bad. I'm not really hurting anybody else. How about this? Uh, I've gotten away with it. I keep doing it because I get away with it. (laughs) I didn't get a smackdown from heaven. See, nobody really knows. Bible says what's done in secret will eventually manifest because God wants it that way. How about church people keep telling me that it's not about me? Joel just said that in an exhortation. It's not about you. No, what he means is it is about you. We got to have your voice. We got to have your praise. We got to have your prayer. We got to have you participating. You doing some works here. See, we need you in children's ministry and nursery. We need you help with the teens. Yes, it is about you, but it's not about you as you want it to be. It's about you as God's plan for your life. It's about surrender, and you're the one who has to surrender. I get to be the leader. I don't have to surrender. Come on. Yes, I do. I beat a path between the upper room and the cross, as they say. How about rebellion? That means we don't embrace what we don't or can't control. Do you know what that, that, that means? You're in charge. That means you don't, you don't recognize authority. You don't want to submit yourself to somebody else. You don't like who made them boss, who died and made them boss. In my case, Jesus. Why? Because he appoints spiritual headship. doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means I've got more to do in my life than you do. That's a tougher thing on me. I don't mind that. I'm called for that. I expect an anointing for that. How about this? We want a validated healing. Do you know why we continue to do things? Because we're waiting for some proof. We want God to show himself. If you're real, then you do this or you do that. Okay, so if God does what you want, who does that make God? Him or you? 
He reserves the right to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whoever he wants. You get that? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. If God does what you want, then who's God? How about this? In the world, we view death, figurative or or physical, as failure. There's only one way to win. That's if we can live longer without, without crow's feet, without wrinkles, without sagging and stuff. So what do we do? Pump up the volume. Inject it. Suck it in. Eat it. Buy stuff. Trying to do what? Prop up this thing that God says is going to die. And you've done all that and you're just one big piece of... What is it? Um, your, your artwork, you know what I mean? You're your just injections and your stuff. And guess what? The plane crashes in your living room. See? How about this? We like our... Um, no. We love our life too much to surrender. Some of us like our lives so much that, that we're not going to surrender. I'm not changing anything. I'll go to a church where I can be who I want to be, and I don't have to surrender anything. And Jesus said, if you love them, even family, more than me, you're not worthy of me. Wow, family, come on. Yeah, I thought God's into family. He's into family, but I'll tell you what, you're always first over anybody, husbands, wives, family, jobs, anything. It's always you and him. So see, sometimes we can promote and elevate family to the point where he says, hey, wait a minute, who's my brothers and sisters? We know that scripture, don't we? What does it say, Kev? Those who, yeah, do his will. Wow. How about this? Jesus died so we don't have to. Yeah, you're right. Not for eternity, but we have to die here because Jesus says, if you really want to live or really, really live, you got to die. Take up your cross and follow him. Okay, I'll finish with this one. Boy, there's a couple real good ones in here. But It says, how about this? In the room, tell me this. Be honest, okay? Who likes being wrong, wronged, shamed, humiliated, disrespected, taken advantage of? Anybody? And you know what will happen when you're a Christian? Jesus, you know what Jesus said? He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute moi. You know that? If they're going to do this to the Son of God, what makes you exempt somehow? How about this? I've never heard that before. My old church slash pastor never talked or taught like that. I hear that all the time. People making you, giving you some feel-good stuff to, to prop you up. And meanwhile, God's not wanting to prop you up. The idea is, is if we prop him up, then he'll draw them in unto himself. Let me end with this uh, 8.1. If you put Romans 8.1, did I, I don't, may not have given you that. That's okay. This is one of the most often misquoted scriptures. And I'm going to end with this one, okay? This is one of the most often misquoted scriptures. How many of you know what Romans 8.1 says? Somebody say it before it gets on the wall. Yeah, see what we usually do? 
is we usually stop with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> oh, yes. Yay! Oh, comma. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you see there's condition? We don't like conditions, do we? Give me, give me, give me. We call it unconditional love. Well, God gives unconditional love. Oh, yeah. He'll rebuke everybody. And if he loves you, he'll discipline you even more so. (laughs) You don't want to step into that camp. Oh, yes, you do. Because the only way to live is to die. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Rest of the verse. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See? There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See? Folks, you've been set free to a degree that we may not have even operated in. I call that we're catching up with the cross. Do you know that? So let me ask you, what are the deeds of your life, of Christianity? How well are you doing? The next question on the bulletin says, name two or three things that you slash he killed when you became a Christian. Or are those things still alive, still showing up in your life? That's not condemnation. That should bring conviction to you because how you're going to answer those questions matters. See, and you can change that today. And what you need to do that is you need the Holy Spirit so that you can be led by the Spirit and not by flesh. That's next week. Let's pray. Wow, if it's signs and wonders, if it's the imminent stuff that we see even in the heavens that has been revealed, as as your servant uh, Todd said, God, um, I just can't seem to make life go the way I want it to be. I, I, I don't figure that out. I get more frustrated all the time because it doesn't work according to my plan. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for your plan, God. Thank you that you even come down and confuse the languages. Lord, we pray for you to help us to, uh, to live a life that truly looks like Jesus. So we're not hypocrites, God that we'll be ones that others will say, hey, I want, yeah, I need what you got. So, Father, we ask that you'll help us with all these things, God, that you'll uh, you'll grant us, Lord, that we, um, we might both know you and make you known. And, Father, I pray for anyone in the room today who doesn't know, who has never professed this need of, of a Savior, that they've never uh, literally said, I'm a, a sinner, I need to be forgiven, I want to join you in heaven for all eternity, then, God, I pray that they're going to respond for the altar team this morning. I pray, God, that we'll be able to pray with them. We'll be able to explain better. So, God, I pray for a conviction right now and a stirring in in the hearts and the spirit of your people that, God, if we're, uh, if we're not okay with you, God, if you're not okay with us, if we're not saved, if we're not safe from the very fires of hell, please put that into the hearts right now. Stir the need to ask questions about this, the need to know. Father, we come before you and we ask God for your help in all that you've called us to do. And as we've, uh, we've heard said, your word, your servant Moses, if you don't go with us, we won't go. 
So God, please go with us this day. Abide with us. Let us be God. Would you be our hiding place? Father, continue to hold us and to grow us up in all ways so that we'll better reflect your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.